Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. It's 2021, Happy New Year, and I am really excited because we're kicking off the new year with an amazing episode, as my guest is Paul Lieberman, President, Global Technology and Products, and co-founder of DraftKings. The story of DraftKings has all the twists and turns of a Hollywood movie. It has the classic beginning of three co-founders looking to radically transform an industry, but this story is not a linear path. Along the way, there were so many obstacles to overcome, which we discuss, like regulatory challenges, raising massive amounts of venture funding, a fierce battle against the competition for market share, scaling to a public offering, and so much more. We also have a deep discussion about their tech and platform, which is incredibly complex and it operates at a massive scale. In addition, we also cover a fun recent story featuring Michael Jordan, who was recently announced as a special advisor to the company's board of directors, Paul's background story including immigrating to the U.S. from Russia at a young age, and his experience at Vistaprint, where he met his two co-founders Jason Robbins and Matt Kalish, a look into DraftKings culture and hiring plans ahead, hiring advice at different stages of a company, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, it's 2021 and there's a lot of buzz out there in terms of hiring and growth plans for companies. If your company is hiring, then we definitely should connect. VentureFizz helps tech companies with employment branding and hiring initiatives. We provide an affordable solution, which includes an employment branding page, unlimited postings to our job board, content that shares the story of your company, people, and culture, and so much more. Send an email to info at to get the additional details. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Paul. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Nice to be on, Keith. I'm I'm excited to talk about DraftKings because uh, it's such a great success story. Yet, as we're going to learn from this, there's so many just twists and turns that eventually got you to where you guys are today, a publicly traded company, which is uh, amazing. And it's one of the pillar tech companies in the Boston tech scene. Uh, But to start things off, I I thought it'd be fun just because you're one of the co-founders of a sports entertainment company. So that gives you access to some interesting, fun things that you might've done in the past. So what's your go-to story or one of the experiences you've had that you always like to share? Yeah. So I'm going to give you a a new one um, with, uh, it's a COVID experience since everyone's stuck at home. Um, we've had an amazing COVID, so we've we've gone public as you know as you know during COVID, uh, we acquired a company in SB Tech. Um, but one of the other exciting things is um, we had Michael Jordan join us as a board advisor. Um, so if you want a sports icon, you don't get anyone uh, larger than that. Um, you know, so as we do, and you know, we introduce our board members to our product, et cetera. And you know, the funniest thing that I think happened to me with COVID is we're going through and. You know, I'm walking him through our sportsbook product and, you know, he's asking all of these questions. Um, and my two five-year-olds are in the background as I'm talking to Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. yelling, talking about how they have to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just as part of the experiences, I'm, you know, they don't care who I'm talking. They don't, you right. know, they're five years old. They're like Michael Jordan. I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> who that is. And meanwhile, you know, talking to, talking to a legend, also having to balance, um, you know, five-year-olds going to the bathroom. So that's probably my, the funniest story of something that's happened recently to me. Um, but in general, he's been, he's been actually great, uh, very passionate about this space. And it's been amazing to, you know, to meet him via Zoom. I'm going to fast forward a little bit here, then I'm going to rewind. But since we're talking about the Michael Jordan piece, that's something I was going to certainly discuss. Like, how, how did you get someone like that you know, like you said, a legend involved with, uh, with DraftKings. So, you know, he has been on boards of other, of other companies and he's really passionate about the space and really, um, you know, obviously loves sports, um, loves all companies and products around sports um, and had a particular interest um, in, you know, our daily fantasy, our sports betting product. And we thought that he would be an amazing ad, just given the knowledge that he brings into the industry, the branding experience, um, just knowledge of the entire sports ecosystem. So my co-founder, Jason, um, our CEO, uh, got in touch and, you know, over time we were able to convince him to come and, you know, help us out. So an amazing ad for the team, um, an amazing ad for our set of advisors. So really excited to have him on. That's awesome. Well, let's rewind the clock. So, uh, you know, like growing up, like where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid? So, 
Um, I, I was born in Russia. My parents actually immigrated here um, with me when I was five years old, um, but always have been a builder, um, love building new things. You know, I was your kind of typical um, engineering kid, you know, did robotics in high school, like always wanted to build. Um, and, you know, it was pretty entrepreneurial as well. Um, you know, always trying to figure out like another way to start something new. Um, so, you know, did, did that. I went to school at WPI, Worcester Polytech here in Massachusetts um, for an engineering degree. Um, started off, worked at, you know, a large company um, and then realized I'm like, this isn't necessarily serving my goal in life of being kind of more entrepreneurial and building something myself. I was, you know, I was doing engineering, but it, it didn't it didn't uh, work for me. Um, so I moved over to uh, Vistaprint, where I met my co-founders, Matt and Jason. Um, Vistaprint was, was very early on. They were doing online printing. Um, and I started off on their analytics team. Uh, I thought that that would be an interesting way to really understand how companies operate, how they build, how they measure and test stuff, um, as well as just join a much smaller organization at that time. Um, so spent a good part of my um, time there building up and their web analytics team and their platform and the way they measure things. Um, met a bunch of really um, great people. It was a great company to work for. Um, learned, you know, learned so much about what are the, you know, what are the ways that you can, you know, grow a business? How do you measure things on the web? Um, how do you test all of these like really great, you know, great skills? Um, but also, you know, where, you know, as Vistaprint grew, I recognized that I wanted to once again build something, start off and build, you know, build a new product, build a company. I spent a lot of time talking to Jason, um, you know, at the time on, you know, on, you know, entrepreneurial ventures, starting an idea, like what are the different things, you know, we'd go to the bar, we would talk about it, but the idea never, you know, was never there. Um, and then one day back in 2011, Matt approached Jason about this idea of fantasy sports. And, you know, Jason knew that I was really, you know, kind of passionate about building stuff. We played in a fantasy league together. Um, so, um, you know, day, day one of, uh, of what would be DraftKings, they, you know, they brought me in and they said, Hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to start this idea? Um, we talked about it for probably half an hour and we're like, this is great. Like, this is really an opportunity. Um, you know, didn't know too much about what, you know, what the space looked like. Um, but for me, it was the excitement of, you know, starting something and building a product. I knew that I could build something that was kind of in my DNA and that was a passion of mine. Um, and throughout my time at DraftKings, um, I've served a variety of different roles, but really um, what has excited me and excites me to this day is building, innovating, um, coming up with, with new products. So um, we quickly moved into my spare bedroom. Um, I lived in Watertown at the time. Uh, we moved into our spare bedroom. We decided to commit, um, you know, weekends, which turned to nights and weekends, which turned into 100-hour weeks uh, where we were building the product and looking to go live, um, trying to, you know, trying to raise money. And, you know, we, we just kept on pounding away. And over time, I think one of the things that's really differentiated DraftKings um, is, you know, A, we were, we were a technology company first and foremost, um, you know, before, before sports or betting or any of this other stuff is like, how do we build, you know, the greatest technology platform, but always innovating in the products that we, you know, we've launched. Um, so coming up with, you know, new things that we want to develop and bring to market. We were, um, you know, the first to launch an online sports book in the U.S. and New Jersey, which was incredibly exciting, given that there was a lot of other people out there that have already had sports books. And, you know, we, we you know, we won, we beat them to market. Um, we launched our online casino. We keep on innovating and launching new things. And that's ultimately what we live for is to be in kind of innovative tech company um, in the sports arena. Yeah, no, it's been a, a, an amazing evolution to see how the company has gotten to where it is today. But going back to this, you know, when you were starting out in the bedroom, right? Was it that I was the idea, hey, we're going to start a daily sports you know, fantasy sports product. Cause at, then I think about, you know, myself as a fantasy sports player, it was the year long type of thing. And you had the major players out there like Yahoo and CBS that were doing the year long thing. But I, as a consumer, never even heard of daily fantasy sports until DraftKings. Yeah. Yeah. So as a consumer, neither did we, um, Matt, uh, 
Matt was the one that kind of came to us and he was like, Hey, like, you know, we think that we can do this daily fantasy sports thing. Um, so it's like fantasy sports for a season. Um, and, you know, didn't know too much about it. Um, and we started doing research. Um, you know, this was like day, day three of, of, uh, of DraftKings. We started doing research and we found out there were 13 other companies that were doing almost exactly the same thing. It was Draft Street, FanDuel existed at the time, Star Street, um, Draft Day, Fantasy Factor, all sorts of these different companies that essentially did daily fantasy sports. And I'm not gonna lie, actually, we thought we had this like very innovative idea um, and we're like, oh no, like look at all these companies that are doing you know, this daily fantasy sports uh, idea for cash. And it was a little disappointing, um, but then in actually talking to some, you know, some advisors, they said, you know what, like, if it's a great idea, um, somebody else probably have thought, have thought about it as well. Like, you got to ask yourself whether you're nascent in the market, maybe the market's just developing and you guys are very early on, um, or, you know, whether it's not a large market. So we looked at it and we said, you know what, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe we're just really early on in this market. And let's look at it as a positive sign that you know there are 13 other companies that have come up with a very similar concept and thought enough of it to bring it to market. Um, so we're not, we weren't necessarily the first to launch daily fantasy sports. Um, and that was actually like a, a pretty good sign for us to say, you know what, like we gotta, we gotta launch this product and we just have to win. We gotta, we gotta offer a better product. We got to figure out how we're going to differentiate. We're going to, you know, we're going to really compete with the FanDuel's and the Draft Streets and, and the other ones of the world. Um, and then fast forward, we acquired some of those companies and really, you know, the industry um, has consolidated a little bit over time. But um, we just got lucky that we identified this particular market at the very beginning of its, you know, of its life cycle. And, you know, I think we, we had a pretty large impact in moving that market forward. So, you know, we signed the first Major League Baseball deal in 2013 and um, started TV marketing and advertising. So I think we, we had our um, role in definitely, you know, pushing it forward. But we got, we got lucky in that regard that it was, it was a good idea and a good market. So we did start with Daily Fantasy. And, and you started with baseball, too, not like straight to the NFL or something. Uh, yeah, we happened to launch uh, on, it was April 27th, uh, was 2012 was our launch date. Um, and baseball was really the only sport that was going on. It was, you know, NBA finals at that point in time. Um, so we, we started with baseball. We thought baseball would be a good way to enter the market. Uh, fantasy baseball, uh, season-long fantasy baseball is a really difficult product. You really have to stay on top of it. There's always changes with pitchers. Um, and we actually thought that baseball would be a great product for daily fantasy because you can engage for one day um, if you're, you know, if you happen to play. And then if you don't want to participate over the weekend or if you're, you know, on vacation, you could still be competitive in, in daily fantasy baseball. So we launched it with baseball. Um, it was our first product, but we quickly added all of the major sports. Um, that was, you know, our first uh, our kind of our first product expansion was adding football and basketball and hockey, um, as well as the college sports as well. Um, but that was kind of our beta test was, was baseball. Okay. Now, how did you come up with the name? DraftKings. Uh, this is actually a pretty good story. Um, we, we were going through and me, Matt and Jason, all three of us um, said, all right, we got to come up with a name. And we all took these massive lists that we put together, you know, over um, over the course of time, we wanted to have the word draft in it or something along Roto or something that had to do with fantasy since we were a fantasy, um, you know, company. So we, we came up with a huge list and then we sat there through GoDaddy and literally typed in every domain name. Um, we found out which ones were available as dot coms. Um, and, you know, it narrowed the list down substantially, uh, <laughs> and DraftKings was, happened to be available and we're like, all right, we kind of like it. It, you know, it has the draft, it has Kings with, with some, you know, sense of royalty, um, you know, attached to it. So like, we're like, we, you know, we could see how this goes together. Um, and it, it stuck. Um, and then, you know, we took, um, DraftKings and we used a company called, uh, 99 Designs. Um, 
and uh, we created our first logo. And, you know, a little fun thing to do if you ever want is search DraftKings 99 Designs um, on Google and you'll see all of the logos that we had to pick from um, because all of this stuff is, is public. Um, you'll see all the logos that we got to choose from, you know, kind of early on in the, in the process. Interesting. I'll uh, definitely check that out. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. It's funny to see some of, uh, you know, some of them back now. It really brings you back to those days sitting in the room, mm-hmm. you know, having the discussion of like, what do we like about the different logos that we're looking at? All right. Now, getting the business off the ground and raising capital. So what was that experience like? Because you're building a business that investors probably aren't dialed into daily fantasy sports, even though there's some other comp- companies out there. Um so there's really no other benchmarks or things. And then you've got the incumbents doing the year long thing. So how do you raise capital? And, and then how did, you know, who was the you know person that believed in, in the vision initially? Yep. Uh, great question. So early on, we decided, we, we set aside roles. I was on the technology side, Matt was on the product side, and Jason was on the kind of fundraising and investor relations side. Um, and we collectively, uh, this was actually probably a big reason that we were able to get things off the ground and move fast is we actually did a really good job at allocating responsibility amongst the three of us, as opposed to kind of all the founders just kind of working and doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we started having a lot of conversations early on. Jason uh, attended a lot of the different events, Matt and I joined him for some of the more important ones. Um, and we met with um, VCs all over the place um, and angels, uh, you know, from everyone from healthcare to um, e-commerce to pretty much anyone that would listen to us. Um, and we found out a few themes. Um, one is we needed to find somebody that um, was passionate about the space and really invested in a similar, you know, kind of consumer facing internet companies um, in Boston. So that was, um, you know, step one. Um, step two is we realized that if we were working at, if we continued working our jobs at Vistaprint, um, it was going to be really hard to raise capital. I mean, the feedback we got consistently was if you're not investing your own, you know, full-time careers, like why are we going to invest in you? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we decided that we needed to leave and do this full-time. Um, so it was like, we started kind of p- putting these pieces together of like, what is the right fit? Um, and finally we came across, um, a gentleman by the name of Ryan Moore, um, you know, great VC in the in the Boston area, and you know, Ryan was a Princeton grad, played football, um, loved sports, um, and you know, he immediately immediately got it. Um, he invested in consumer internet companies um, as well, so like it was just like the perfect fit of you know, uh, for AVC and Ryan's also a great guy. Um, so he was the person that kind of saw the, saw the vision, understood what we were trying to do and understood the appeal of the product. It's really hard to invest in something when you're not, you know, you yourself are not the, you know, kind of end user or somebody that would enjoy, um, you know, enjoy playing on DraftKings. Yeah. Um, so he had faith in us. And once we left our jobs, he, um, he was our first, uh, angel investor and then you know a bunch of other people kind of rolled in um, with Ryan once he was uh, once he was leading the deal but it was a process I mean we spent eight nine months getting rejected left and right and developing our product and you know running into issue after issue after issue um, but finally um, he bit and it was a rewarding experience for him too. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were leading product and engineering so talk about the you know you're a tech company, right? So you were going to market as we're a tech company. You're building out the core product, you know, the team initially, the engineering team. Uh, like, how did you go about that? And like, what advice would you have for you know other founders on building that core engineering team? Yeah. Um, so one of the great things about having previous work experience um, has been I, I developed a great network of people that I loved working with. Um, and, you know, that I had relationships with. And, you know, kind of quickly, I said, like, what are we trying to build? Um, what is a stack, you know, the tech stack that we're trying to build in? Um, we decided to go down a path that was similar to what we saw at Vistaprint, TripAdvisor, Wayfair. Um, they were the large technology companies in the area. So we knew that if we were going to be hiring employees, um, people would have experience in those spaces. 
So, you know, while many others, you know, chose maybe a more fun tech stack, we actually just went down the path of how do we pick one where we're going to be able to get the most amount of talent. Um, and, you know, early on, we really went through our networks of individuals and said, how do we get the people that we trust um, who are going to build the, you know, the best product? Um, it's really, really, really hard to hire as a startup without going to, you know, through to some network because, you know, you got to get someone to buy into the vision, buy into the team, no different than, you know, raising venture capital, um, you know, and, and come join you and leave their, you know, leave their jobs. So, um, you know, we found a few crazy people that decided to, that had enough faith in us and also had the entrepreneurial mindset, saw the vision. Um, so we, you know, we hired, you know, early on, um, I hired two to three engineers, um, most of uh, which are still with us today, um, you know, two to three engineers, some design people, some, you know, and we started cranking away. And, you know, from there, it kind of grew naturally. One of the amazing parts about DraftKings is for people that are passionate about sports, this is like such a fun place to work. So if you like sports and you like technology, like, I mean, there's a gold mine of both of those things. Um, and uh, so we were able to start picking off people that not only liked it because there were engineering challenges, but also liked it because um, it had to do with a pastime that they really enjoyed. So how did, how did you build it for scale, right? So once you started, you know, getting a much larger consumer base using the product, like I interviewed Travis Dunn, your CTO at one yeah. point, and he talked about stressful Sundays during the NFL season. So like, I, did you sleep the night before knowing that as soon as kickoff or whatever, you know, people doing their lineups and they want instant results of stats yeah. and, you know, so what, what's that like? There, there were many lost uh, nights of sleep. So <laughs> the first thing that we did before we got to the scale point, and I think that this is, is, and I tell this to founders all the time, because this is advice that I got is, you know, they're like, build, build it for, you know, one to five people, like using your product, because there's so many people that focus on scale and so many, you know, startups don't get to a place of scale. Um, and you have to iterate and you have to be able to iterate fast um, where developing for scale actually takes a lot of thought in how you're going to scale those products. Um, and typically, once you're at a point where you are developing for large scale, you also have money um, because you're scaling up, you know, those uh, that technology. So we kind of did two things. One is we identified where we would need. And but the other thing that I'm going to add is no one knows what part is not going to scale early on. That is something that you learn. Right. Um, you can, you can make assumptions, but the reality is, is that like where I would have guessed we would have run into issues is not where we run into issues, you know, today on the, you know, on the scale side, it's always something different. Um, but um, you know, we took a very mindful approach early on in making sure that we were, you know, building the code in a, way that when we were launching for scale, we'd be able to do so in a, you know, in a pretty easy way. Um, but we didn't necessarily focus on how do we make the most scalable, most resilient architecture. We actually focused on, let's do like a proof of concept to make sure that somebody even cares to, you know, to go to DraftKings. Um, and then um, after about two years, we realized, okay, now we can't just scale by throwing more hardware at the problem, um, which in many cases, most companies can. You can throw a bigger computer at a problem. You don't need to necessarily throw hundreds of different machines. Um, and that's when we started. We also, at that point, went from three engineers. You know, we had dozens of engineers at that, you know, at that point in time. Um, and we went through a project and, you know, there were some extremely stressful, you know, sleepless nights. One of the things that's, you know, challenging about sports um, is a, it always happens when people are not at work. Um, so that is, that is something that people don't realize, but like we work the regular work week and then, you know, sports happens on, you know, at 7 PM at night, um, on weekdays and, you know, Sundays and Saturdays for college and, you know, professional sports. So like you're always on. Um, but the other thing is, is it's like, it's extremely spiky. Um, so it's not, 
like e-commerce where, you know, your Black Friday might be four times larger than your, you know, your other, you know, your other peak day. This is like NFL Sundays were a hundred times larger than, you know, two days beforehand. Right. Um, so, you know, we really had to build up for scale and that, you know, it took really good people hiring great engineers that really took the time to understand. We spent a lot of time in instrumenting and understanding everything about our platform. We still do. Um, it's probably the most important thing um, is to measure and have data on everything. And we have data on absolutely not, not only customer data, which, you know, we can do for better data science and machine learning, but also data on, you know, how many milliseconds it takes for the average person to, you know, for every single page hit and how many machines it hits, all of that. Um, and we, you know, we hired great people um, and they, over the course of a year to a year and a half, we slowly scaled out the systems that were going to be, um, you know, going to be impacted. Um, and, you know, you, you always had football as a looming deadline. And that was um, in some cases really good because you didn't have a choice. It's not like there was a marketing campaign. It was football's coming and you need to be ready. Um, and that kept, kept everyone motivated to, to make sure it was done. Do you remember the point where you're like, I mean, as a founder, you probably always had the belief that this could be a massive business, but do you like kind of remember like the inflection point where you're like, this is for real? Because all of a sudden you were yeah. raising monster rounds of funding. 2015, every TV ad during the NFL season was either you or your competition. And it was yeah. like a massive link. So what, what, like what, talk about that, those times. So I have found personally that the points in like the DraftKings history that stand out as like these pivotal points are always when we moved new offices. Um, for whatever reason, um, that was the time, you know, when we went from a five person, you know, co-working space on Boylston Street to, you know, our 2000 square foot to 20,000 to now we have 100,000 square feet in Boston. Um, those were, there, there's something about walking through the office and seeing all of the people and being like, wow, like, we're creating these jobs and, you know, in Boston, there are people that are dedicated and motivated. They're eat, sleep, drink, you know, DraftKings. Um, and I have always found those to be like pretty impactful moments um, because it's hard to, I mean, you could see graphs, you can see numbers on a paper, you could see balance sheets, but when you really get the, you know, kind of the, you know, the scale comes from, um, you know, seeing the, the people and the people that we've been able to bring on to the team. Um, you know, obviously 2015 was, was an interesting year because, you know, we, we had this DraftKings everywhere approach and you're walking around South Station and South Station has, you know, is surrounded by DraftKings. And then you walk out of South Station and there's mailboxes that are DraftKings. Like that was pretty cool. But I really think it's seeing the people um, and seeing the team that has have been the moments of like, you know, wow, like we're making, you know, not only are we launching a really cool product, but we're also making a big difference in, in the lives of so many people. And, you know, some of the twists and turns along the way. Okay, now this is a uh, market that is regulated. And there was all this debate, is this, you know, legal or not? So DraftKings had to, like so many other great successful startup stories that have scaled and done well, there was that hurdle along the way that you had to you know, like Uber had to get approval to do what they did, right? There was just yeah. this. So uh, talk about more of the regulatory challenges because that, you know, I can't imagine, you know, having to go through that, you know, you're lobbying or you know, Jason's out there speaking on behalf of, it was just a crazy scenario to obviously have to change the rules of the game. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and, you know, I, you're right. I think every company goes through these kind of phases of, you know, as you grow, as you mature, um, and as, you know, things progress, like whether it's Uber or Airbnb or DraftKings, like you're always kind of battling some, you know, some kind of changes and they're, they're big. Um, you know, for us, um, you know, we started off as a small company and then, you know, once, um, you know, 2015 ran around, you know, came around and we invested a whole bunch of resources and marketing, et cetera. Um, you know, a lot more people started to take notice and, um, you know, we recognized, we actually, even before 2015, 
um, really thought about how we want to regulate and self-regulate our own product. Um, those were concerns, whether it was things like responsible gaming or making sure that people had good experiences or you know, making sure that people were you know, using the right types of credit cards, all sorts of these different regulatory things. Um, our CFO um, at the time, uh, Tim Dent, um, was, you know, was very knowledgeable of you know, the entire gaming space. Um, so he helped us in making sure that we had the right um, safeguards in place because we knew at some point regulation was going to come. Um, but when it did come, it, it came uh, fast, hot and heavy, I would say. Um, you know, over the course of 2016 and 2017, um, many different states, I think we have like 23 states have regulated, you know, daily fantasy sports. Um, I believe it's 10 states um, on, um, on sports betting. Um, essentially, the way we reacted to it being a technology company is how do we build technology to scale for the kind of ever changing needs of our, you know, of regulations? We had to build it from scratch. Nothing existed. Um, so, you know, we took the time and we said, look, this is like an opportunity for us to really um, grow and scale our platform and our teams. And we invested a lot of resources over, you know, the two years following 2015, 2016 and 2017 in building out what, you know, was going to be the best platform. And that has actually served us really well because when we built it out, we looked at things like gaming, um, iGaming and sports betting. We said, like, what are the types of things that are in those spaces that we may get challenged with in the future? What are, you know, like, let's not just go in and say, here's the DFS regulation, but what do we need to build to scale out for the potential future of the space? Um, and how do we build a, a, in this case, scalability did matter. How do we build a scalable platform to really support what we're, you know, what we're trying to do? Um, and it, you know, it came to fruition in 2018 when PASPA was overturned. Um, we had the platform that was ready for the U.S. market. Um, so everything that we do is built on our own platform, and that's that's been a large competitive advantage for us. And it's so complex. I mean, there's so much involved in what you guys do. Like it's just absurd how much. I mean, from you know, you're you had a consumer needs to connect their bank account or, you know, deposit money. And then there's the whole process of walking the consumer through the onboarding and getting their first bet in to yeah. hopefully having them continue on and, you know, being our customer to everything else that has to do with what, you know, makes the whole platform operate. Yeah. Yeah. Now it is very complicated. And, you know, the thing that we focus on, this is really what it comes down to with DraftKings. I think if you talk to our employees, you hear this is hire great people and hire great talent because ultimately, um, you know, whether it's our product people, engineers or marketing folks, they're the ones that build this stuff and understand all of the different complexities. And we've really been able to build up a great team that understand the intricacies of how, you know, West Virginia might be different than New Jersey, how it's different than Vegas and, you know, building out those, um, you know, our platform to be able to support all of those things. So, you know, now, um, you know, in, you know, you launched the sports book that was, was it 2018 that you launched in New Jersey? Yeah. So all of a sudden we're in, you know, 2020, there's a pandemic, you know, and sports come to a screeching halt pretty much. So what, what's, what's it yeah. like then? <laughs> um, I mean, everyone I'm sure was pretty stressed out about the pandemic because everything came to a screeching halt, but you know what, with our, our mindset has always been, it's these situations that create the best opportunities. Um, it's situations where other people, you know, may freeze up or may start kind of worrying. Um, we thought this is an opportunity for us. Like what, what is the opportunity created by COVID for DraftKings? Yeah. Um, and, you know, what we realized is, a, um, you know, esports, big opportunity was still going on, um, expansion into international, international sports and international markets. Um, we launched um, simulated, uh, simulated NFL games. We launched uh, Counter-Strike and Rocket League, all of these different things, that, you know, for fantasy sports. Um, we launched, uh, we started innovating in our iGaming space and launching new, uh, new different games, like new blackjack games and multi-hand blackjack, all sorts of innovations around iGaming. 
Um, and we were able to, instead of sitting there, like really quickly launch these new products um, on our platform. And those have been a large success. We actually saw a lot of engagement um, in, you know, in those platforms. Um, we launched our pools platform as well that gave us the ability to do uh, pool games over any type of event, um, you know, that we had, whether it was politics or elections or Grammys or, you know, any of those types of awards. So our goal was, how do we take what we've built and how do we scale it? How do we get, um, you know, our team to make sure that we continue to engage the customer um, while also focusing on the long term? So I think in many ways, COVID has, um, and, you know, the screeching halt in sports just made our, you know, kind of brought our culture of innovation and moving fast to, you know, to life. Um, I've never seen people, you know, everyone was worried about the engagement of people working from home. I've never seen a team more engaged because this is where, you know, they kind of, this is where they shine. Um, and this is where they had a chance to say, you know what, like we're going to react faster. We're going to react better. Um, than our competitors. And this is how we're going to, you know, to win. Um, so obviously, you know, the first, um, you know, few weeks or the last few weeks in March when everything kind of changed was stressful. Um, but at the same time, the, the team is not, you know, hasn't lost a beat. Um, we've worked remotely. Um, we've acquired a company, like I said, went public, did all of those things. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I could be more proud of the team um, and what we've been able to accomplish over the last, um, I don't even know how many months, forever, nine months that we've been at home. <laughs> well, you just mentioned one of the, you know, uh, milestones for the company, you went public this year. Um, yeah. now, so we went like a, a vehicle that's been talked about this year is S packs and what that's been able to do to help companies reach the public market. So talk about that. Cause it's maybe not something that most people are familiar with. It's, you know, definitely a different um, way of, of, of going public? Yeah, so we decided this actually happened, um, you know, last year, we decided that we were going to go public through a SPAC. We evaluated all different options for, you know, whether it was we wanted to do an IPO, whether we wanted to stay private, whether we wanted to do a SPAC. And the SPAC vehicle was just a good one for us in the, you know, at that particular point in time. Um, so the way a SPAC works is essentially um, it's a public company that acquires a private company. It's a public company designed to acquire um, a private company to take them public. Um, so it's really not all that different than an IPO, um, but it does, it is a little bit of a faster time to market and it has some of, you know, some advantages and disadvantages in the way, in the way it does it. Um, you know, one of the advantages for us at the time was that, you know, in the SPAC process, we were able to move faster. We, you know, knew that there was, you know, an impending elections and all this other uncertainty in, you know, the market that was there. Um, and we thought that it was important for us to, you know, to get out there faster. And, you know, to some extent, it was uh, lucky that we went down that path because during COVID, it would have been really hard to go through an IPO that would have maybe happened now. Um, it's, you know, you have to do a roadshow, you have to do all, all of these different things. So, um, you know, once again, I think we got a little bit lucky with this back, but it was just, you know, for many people, I think um, it's, it's confusing, but the reality is, is we're a public company. We operate like a public company. It's no different than any other public company that exists. It's, uh, you know, the details are really in the mechanics of exactly how we went public. Um, but everything else is pretty much the same. Now talk about the, um, growth plans for 2021 in terms of hiring and like, you know, what's a culture like working at DraftKings and types of people that generally, cause it's, it's a great fit. You talked about for people that are sports enthusiasts, but uh, it's also a great fit for people that are non-sports enthusiasts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like I am not the biggest sports enthusiast in the world. My co-founders are, I am more of an engineer um, and I've signed more with the, with the engineers. Um, but we will, um, we're a company that is going to continue to grow. I mean, there are so many um, interesting um, product and technology and marketing challenges um, that we have. We're entering new markets, um, both geographically, but also, you know, launching new products and, 
Um, we have a very strong base in, um, in Boston. Uh, we've also opened up uh, offices in Las Vegas, New Jersey, um, New York, Ireland, and then we have a large international presence um, all over the place, whether it's London, Bulgaria, Ukraine, Malta, et cetera, everywhere. Um, we are going to continue to grow that, in that base of people. And we're always hiring um, you know, amazing talent in all of the different locations. Ultimately, um, I have a firm belief as well as my co-founders and the executive team that it's the people that you hire that are building the product. You know, obviously we're, we're leading those teams, but they're the ones that are coming in day in, day out, making sure that we have the best product, the best experience in all the different areas. Um, so over the course of the next year, we're going to continue to, you know, to bring on great talent um, and launch really cool new products, not just in sports, but um, in gaming and media, all kind of all over the place. Um, and, you know, ultimately our mission is to create an a, amazing experience for sports fans across all the different products. Um, but um, we're going to, and we're going to continue to do that. And we're going to continue to innovate. So if anyone's listening to this, that is looking for an opportunity in, um, I still like to think of us as a startup, um, startup, you know, startup culture type company, but really an opportunity to, to grow and learn and um, have a great team. Um, you know, I encourage you to, to go to careers.draftkings.com and look and apply. So to um, flip the question a little bit. So you've lived through the hyper growth of scaling, growing, hiring to like how many employees does DraftKings have about right now? Globally. What is it? 2,400. 2,400. Yeah. So you've seen hyper growth scale of growth for hiring. So what advice would you give to other founders that are going through different stages and the hiring advice you give through those different phases from that early team to that next level to, you know, now over 2000 employees. My biggest advice is never lower your bar on talent. Um, Always, um, you know, I would say, even now, in many cases, like I'm interviewing personally, um, a lot of people that are, you know, directors and senior directors in the company. And it is just so important culture um, and the quality of talent and making sure that you have people all aligned is so critical for, you know, the success of any organization is, you know, bring in, um, you know, great people and foster that, you know, foster the culture that represents, um, you know, you as a company for us, you know, our culture is one of, you know, being very analytical, having, you know, strong bias for action, never, you know, always coming up with, with a solution. It's not, you know, doing everything we can to win. We're, you know, we're super competitive, um, you know, a, a culture of um, inclusion and equity, which I actually think has been very interesting during COVID um, and acquiring a company is, um, you know, creating inclusion and equity um, in a virtual environment. Um, but all of those things are super important. And my advice to founders is at any point in time, that is, um, you know, that is extremely critical um, for, for success. So when you kind of, you know, look back at what you guys have accomplished so far, like what's, what's you know, your biggest lesson learned? For, for me, I think it's just relying. And this is not like, it's hard to, to put in words, but it's like the, the movement be- between being able to do stuff yourself and relying on people. And I think it really comes back to, you know, you have to have a team that you trust. And whenever you have someone or something on your team that kind of erodes that, Um, it's always a challenge. So I think what I've learned is build up, build up the best team you can and be extremely transparent. Um, And, you know, communication and having clear communication with your team is so important um, because when that's failed, everything starts going the wrong way. So um, that would be the biggest thing I, I would say. And that, that's a great lesson learned because if you don't have that trust and you don't build that team that you can confide in that they're going to make the right decisions, there's no way you can scale because you can't scale yourself. Yeah. I think that that's like, and it's, it's more of like, you know, it's not even the team that you can confide in, but it's, it's just being completely honest and transparent. Like sometimes, 
you know, like early on, um, you know, having clear feedback and clear constructive feedback was something that's, you know, that was challenging, but like, as you develop that team with, you know, trust, integrity, and it really becomes a team where everyone leans on each other and everyone's able to communicate. Um, that's when you start really, um, you know, moving forward really quickly. I'd say the, I'm going to give one other thing that I've learned um, that's really worked for me at least is, um, you know, a lot of people and a lot of teams focus on developing people's, um, you know, areas that they have to work on, like their weaknesses. And in building up teams, I've started focusing a lot more on getting, you know, a variety and a diversity of strength. Um, and instead of giving feedback on what they need to do better, I focus on how do they leverage their strengths more um, and really encouraging that. A, I found it to be a lot more motivating and B, people are happy leveraging, their, a lot more happy leveraging their, their strengths than consistently working on something that might not necessarily come natural to them. So I would say between the, you know, the first two, the first part, which is being very clear on your feedback, identifying superpowers um, for your different teammates, and they're all different. Every person is different. Um, as well as building a team with different superpowers. You know, we have, I have one person that is, you know, great at delivering software. Like he's just like a machine at delivering software, but he might not be like the most empathetic leader. And then I have other people that have a lot of empathy. Um, so how do you take all of those things, combine them together um, and make a, you know, kind of make an all-star team. So I'd say that those are the two things that I feel like, I learned throughout my, you know, my time as being a leader at DraftKings is when you create those teams, those are the ones that are like, you know, you, you they stay around forever. They, you know, they don't leave, they're engaged, they love working together. Um, there's a lot of honesty and transparency and that works really well. So, uh, so how do you manage your time? You, you've got a lot of moving parts with the business and what you are running. So what, how do you manage your time? Um, you know, that's a, that's another great question. I think the number one thing that I really focus on is on a, uh, on a normal cadence, just reviewing how I want to spend my time and what are the important things that I should be focusing on and what I shouldn't be focusing on. I do this maybe like every six weeks or so, um, like twice a quarter. Um, and my big thing, um, having really like the entrepreneurial type mindset is I feel like I am very valuable in being part of the kind of innovation process and launching new products and launching new verticals. So I take a step back and I say, what are the things that, you know, Paul differentially needs to focus on? Um, and then how do, how am I spending my time? Um, and I find that it kind of gets away from me, um, you know, every, you know, every six weeks, uh, and I circle back and, and really think about it. You know, at this point, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily doing as much as I'm, you know, kind of bringing teams together. Um, so it is a lot of time on, you know, kind of meetings and, and calls, but uh, it is important for them not to, you know, it, it's really easy to get a bunch of like time stealing type things that come up um, being, you know, being an executive and, that is something that I found to be very effective um, is, is re or like reorienting yourself. And then I also um, allocate a little, you know, a decent amount of time every single week, just for my own like personal work time, sanity, um, and, you know, keeping that as something that is, that is a sacred part of my work day that I don't just get stuck in meetings all day. And that's, I think, an important thing. It's like, it's easy to get caught in the weeds and not think of like the bigger picture, more the strategic stuff, you know, because the weeds suck up so much of the time. Yeah. And you, you know, like it's, it gets away from you because it just naturally happens. Um, and for me, and I think it's different for different people. I've noticed that if I have a cadence, um, you know, personally, like I have my working plan that I work with my, uh, my assistant on. If I can do that and I can, you know, it really helps me focus. Yeah. So what are, what are three apps that you can't live with, live without? And obviously DraftKings can't be one of them. 
Um, three apps that I, I do use Twitter a lot, um, mainly for um, probably user research more than anything, to be honest with you. I look to see how people are talking about the DraftKings app. Um, so uh, does iMessages count? Because that's one that I use way too much. Sure. Yeah. Um, somehow text messaging beca- has become the de facto communication channel for um, our entire exec team. I hate to say this last app, um, but it's probably the Outlook app. <laughs> 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 I got to come up with a better one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, I think, um, you know, as far as consumer apps, I think Twitter is, you know, Twitter has been really, really good. Um, the other one, you know, I will say that I've uh, used quite a bit um, is Todoist, um, which is just a, it's a simple task management, but it definitely, you know, going back to something you said earlier, which is like keeping your eye on the big things. It always helps me to take a step back and to say, what are the three things that I'm really focused on? What are my goals? Um, because if I don't, you know, it, it is easy for things to slip away. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any apps behind you that I use. Uh, <laughs> oh, Drizzly. That's a good one. Drizzly is a great one. Um, yeah. That's, uh, you got some good ones out there. I use that app, but not, it's not my most used one, unfortunately, or fortunately. <laughs> so um, what do you like to do outside of work? Obviously you're, you're busy, you know, working a lot, but outside of work, what do you like to do? So I have two five-year-old twins um, that, um, they keep me and a dog um, and a wife. Uh, <laughs> they honestly, um, you know, one of the things that I've really valued about this time being at home is being able to just spend time with the family. Um, so a lot of my time is spent just, you know, being outside and, you know, hanging out with them, uh, going, you know, going to the Cape and just normal, you know, normal family time. Um, nothing, you know, nothing too crazy. We used to attend sporting events, but we don't do that anymore. Um, but it's really, it, they grow up really fast. I don't know if you have kids, but um, they do. they're 14 you know, and 16. So yes, it does happen. Yeah. Fast. So, um, and you know, at this age, uh, there's just so much to do with them, whether it, and that's honestly like probably my most favorite thing is, you know, whether it's reading a book or, you know, playing piano or something with them. Like that's, that's probably the best way I spend my time. That's awesome. Well, Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through the whole background story about you and, you know, the great story of DraftKings and, you know, continued success moving forward. All right. Thank you very much, Keith. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.